Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into this all-important and popular topic of theology of the body. Now, if you are a faithful listener, you know that uh, we have completed our most recent book, The Love That Satisfies. So we are set to start a new work once again from Christopher West, and this work is called Fill These Hearts. God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. Again, this is Christopher West's work, Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and and the Universal Longing. So if you don't have this book, um, please go to your local uh, Catholic and Christian bookstore or go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, get this book. And if you are one who likes to go through this book with me, please do uh, grab that book. Now, I want to pause here to just kind of reflect where we've been, where we are at, and where we are going with Theology of the Body. Okay, where have we been? Well, with Ivan Mora, if you remember Ivan, he's now in the seminary, we took up in a 12 to 13 week part series, Theology of the Body for Teens. And we went that route because Theology of the Body for Teens really lays out beautifully all of the foundational principles for a deeper appreciation for what theology of the body is all about. And then we turned our attention to Christopher West and his work, The Love That Satisfies, which is a commentary to the first half of Benedict's encyclical, God is Love. And so we started to go a little deeper with John Paul II's principles of theology of the body. Now we have arrived at a point where we are going to talk about a text that is, yes, about theology of the body, but it is unique in how it engages at even a deeper level the relationship between the sacred and the secular. And I'm actually going to read a piece here in a little bit from Christopher West that will kind of highlight the uniqueness of this dialogue between the sacred and the secular and why it is out from a better understanding of theology of the body that we can engage the culture today in our evangelization and catechesis. Derek uh, and Chris are not with me this evening, so they will join me next week, um, as they have in the past, to offer their reflections and commentary to Christopher West's words. Okay, so with that, what is this book about by way of theme? Well, it's about desire, design, and destiny, okay? As it relates to desire, we are not talking about trivial desires. We're not talking about superficial wants. This book is about, as Christopher West puts it, the atomic energy of our souls. That is to say, that universal ache and longing we feel as human beings for something. Christopher West poses some important questions that he's going to take up in the first section on desire. And those questions are as follows. Where does that hungry void in us come from? Why do we have it? What are we supposed to do with it? 
And maybe most importantly, is there anything that can fill it? <laughs> in many ways, you will find, my friends, if, if you were with us in the work, the love that satisfies some reinforcements here. Even in those questions, you're probably hearing some words that we talked about already in the love that satisfies. But again, there will be reinforcement, but at the same time, given the nature of the subject matter in this book, deeper insight, I think, for us. And we'll call upon the Holy Spirit to guide us and to draw us into those insights. And so Christopher West continues, you know, does that something we're looking for even exist? Huh? <laughs> and is there any hope of finding it? So in short, is there hope that can satisfy our deepest desire for happiness, for lasting fulfillment? You know, one can hardly speak of human desire, of course, without speaking about the power and pull of what? But our sexual desire. The sexual relationship holds out a seemingly irresistible promise of happiness. For many, sexual love seems to offer the one chance of filling that void inside with something close to satisfaction. So more questions will be taken up within this context of desire, and that is, what role does sexuality play in our search for happiness? You know, we live in a culture sated with sex, but we remain starved for love. Why is that? The love that satisfies responds to that question. We're going to get into that answer and go snorkeling, and we will do so by integrating the relationship between sexuality and spirituality. Now, this book is about desire. It is also about God's loving design, the key word design, huh, for our happiness as men and women. I mean, if you're to think about it, if God is the author of our humanity, He is also the author of human desire, including that desire He stamped into our very beings. And leads to the question, you know, why did he make us as sexual beings? Why did he make sex so pleasurable, so luring, so attractive? Was it only to dangle a carrot in front of our noses and then forbid us the satisfaction of eating it? Is this what this is about? No, we know that cannot be the case. We speak to God being the author of our humanity and at the same time, the author of human desire, including our sexual desire, including everything, because God is the author of everything. So what does the very design of our bodies as male and female tell us about God's plan for our lives? Again, more important questions. Is the purpose of sex just to continue the species, or is there something deeper, something grander, something beyond the merely physical at work here? Is there a larger, mysterious interplay between sex and the very meaning of existence? This is a great question that comes to us from Christopher West. Might the whole reality of sex and the divine design be a foreshadowing of an eternal heavenly bliss? A most provocative question, but a most necessary question that essentially John Paul II was asking, and one can go so far as to say, was underneath his whole theology of the body. Now, if this book is about desire, design, it is also about 
our destiny. This book is about our eternal destiny, that we are created for bliss, for ecstasy, and our hearts know it. According to the Christian faith, the ecstasy we yearn for at the deepest level of our being is precisely what God wants to give us eternally. In many ways, this is a response to the aforementioned question on what is being foreshadowed in the consummative act. And in many ways, as we talked about it over the past five, six months, this is what makes the gospel good news. But a destiny of bliss is not simply a given. There's work to do. We have a destiny, but there's work to do. What does the word destiny mean? Well, in the Latin, destinare, it's actually an archer's term that means to aim at. Desire has a trajectory, a destiny. Now, it's interesting. You've heard me speak to what the word sin means. The Greek word for sin that Paul uses is a marzia. A marzia is uh, an archery's term as well. It means to miss the mark. Okay, this actually translates the Hebrew yara, which is another archery term that speaks to hitting the mark, bullseye. So this is why when you sin, you are missing the mark, because to live in God's law, law, this is the Hebrew word for law, yara, is to hit bullseye. Well, if we are going to hit bullseye, we need to aim at it, right? So we need to live in God's law, and when we live in God's law, we will fulfill our destiny. So desire has a destiny, and we fulfill that destiny when our desires are living in God's law. So wherever we aim it, that is our desire, that's where ultimately we will arrive. That's the tremendous gift and weighty responsibility of freedom. Now, Christopher West poses more questions. How do we distinguish between authentic freedom and its counterfeits? How do we distinguish authentic love from its counterfeits? How do we place our freedom at the service of authentic love so as to arrive at our God-given destiny of heavenly bliss? As we will discover in this book, this is what sexual morality, properly understood, is all about. Learning how to aim our desire for heaven and towards heaven by living in God's law. Now, Christopher West, in his introduction, has this little piece titled, A Dialogue Between Sacred and Secular. And for the sake of just our own trajectory on this radio program, I wanted to read what Christopher West has here. It's certainly a reference point for where this book comes from. Okay, so this is uh, Christopher West speaking here. He says this, I am a student of both theology and pop culture. Although these two realms are sometimes far apart, I enjoy looking for God as much in a Hollywood movie or a pop song as I do in a theological tome. One has to be discerning when it comes to secular art and theological tomes, I might add, he says. But I subscribe to what Brother Lawrence taught about seeking God everywhere. And of course, there he's speaking to Brother Lawrence's classic work, Practicing the Presence of God. So, Christopher West goes on, Since my last book, At the Heart of the Gospel, took a more formal theological approach, I felt it was time to take the conversation in a more casual direction. 
That's not to say we won't explore some profound mysteries in this book. We will. But my goal is to break them open in a kind of dialogue between sacred and secular sources. Now, this is important here, my friends, because this, in many ways, is what the new evangelization is all about. That great phrase that you've heard me talk about a great deal, that Tuesday nights is devoted to in its entirety as we are going through Pope Francis's work, The Joy of the Gospel, an exhortation on the new evangelization. The evangelization is new in its ardor, methods, and expression, with a particular emphasis in a consideration of how we are going to engage the culture, right? We see in Acts 17, Paul going into the heart of uh, the Greek culture. He goes to the Areopagus, speaking to them in their language in light of the bigger picture, essentially showing how their understanding of truth was only a partial fulfillment of the totality that is discovered in Jesus Christ. What Christopher West does in this book, and what we are going to be doing here on this radio program, is taking this whole idea of the new evangelization being one of engaging the culture with these theological principles that come to us from theology of the body. So this is going to be very important, and this is why this work is so valuable, because it really does create that dialogue between the sacred and the secular. And in so doing, it evangelizes the heart. So we will call upon the Holy Spirit to aid us in this task. Okay, Christopher West goes on, and this is just him speaking. For a few years now, I've been working with a team of seasoned artists and musicians developing a live event that incorporates popular music, movie clips, YouTube videos, and other artists' works into a contemporary exposition of the gospel. Typically presented in theaters rather than in churches, it's an attempt to step out into the main streets, as Jesus said, and invite everyone to the wedding feast. The book is named after the live event and takes the same approach in written form. So there you have it. Christopher West, in many ways, is doing what St. Paul did in Acts 17. He's literally going into the heart of the culture, and he's presenting to them a way in which to better understand the faith. And uh, as he notes, you know, art is the language of the heart. Sometimes a song lyric, a melody, or a movie scene can illuminate truths in a way that academic theology simply can't. Why? Because, as we've talked about it before, images, art can evangelize the imagination in a way words simply can't, because art in of itself speaks to the nature of beauty, and we are wired for beauty. So even secular art can become the occasion of of a sacred experience. John Paul II on one occasion wrote, even beyond its typically religious expressions, true art has a close affinity with the world of faith, so that even in situations where culture and the church are far apart, art remains a kind of bridge to religious experience. My dear friends, this book, with its many references to the songs and and, and movies of the culture, seeks to cross that bridge. Of course, sacred sources establish the basis of the conversation, huh? So as Christopher West notes, 
I draw primarily from the wisdom of Scripture, the writings of Christian saints throughout the ages, and from the vision of human love and the divine plan unfolded by the late John Paul II. And then he makes note of theology of the body, love and responsibility that we've talked about before, and those three key words, desire, design, and destiny, and how through the prism of desire, design, and destiny, alongside of the many rich images he will use, we will begin to see anew the impact theology of the body can have, not only in our own lives, but as we've been talking about here, in culture itself. Remember what the word culture means. It comes from Latin, cultus, which means worship, specifically sacrificial worship. So if we are going to transform culture, what we must first understand is that we must be rooted in the one true sacrificial worship of Jesus Christ, and we must allow that sacrifice to invade our souls in every way, shape, and form that our own lives, as Paul reminds us in Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, may become a holy and acceptable offering to God, a spiritual worship. I would make the case that this point that comes to us from Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, in light of the Eucharist, is the single most salient and theological point out there to better understand the starting point to transforming culture, because the starting point is the person we see in the mirror. Because before the culture is transformed, we must first be transformed. What are those words that come to us from St. Francis of Assisi? To sanctify society, we must first sanctify ourselves. Okay, so with that, let us turn to the book, part one, desire. You know, what do we mean by desire? Desire is an expressly felt yearning for something that promises to fill a void, a longing for that which promises satisfaction in its attainment. The Latin word for desire, desiderare, literally means to long for, wish for, hope for, expect. The original sense may mean to look to the stars or to await what the stars may bring. Uh, from the stars is maybe the best translation. And in light of that, <laughs> Christopher West speaks to, well, the stuff of stars. He opens up with a story, and we'll just kind of get going with this. And in 1977, NASA launched Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 to explore the galaxy. A golden record called The Sounds of Earth was affixed to each of the twin spacecrafts, a message from Earth to anyone out there in the universe who might be listening. It contained both music and the sound of a human heartbeat. Now, a gal by the name of Annie Druyan served as the creator director of NASA's famous Voyager Interstellar Message Project. Along with Carl Sagan and a few others, she was entrusted with the task of coming up with Earth's message to the rest of the universe, reflecting on the experience. And this is most fascinating. In a 2009 interview, she recalled, okay, this is Annie, the first thing I found myself thinking of was a piece by Beethoven from Opus 130, something called the Cavatina Movement. When I first heard this piece of music, I thought, Beethoven 
how can I ever repay you? What can I ever do for you that would be commensurate with what you've just given me? And so, as soon as Carl said, well, we have this message and it's going to last a thousand million years, I thought of this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin, longing. Part of what we wanted to capture in the voyage message was this great longing that we feel. And the longing, of course, from Beethoven was in German. So a song of human longing launched into space. And again, <laughs> what does that Latin root word mean? From the stars? It's as if NASA's scientists were saying to the rest of the universe, this is who and what we are as human beings, creatures of longing, creatures of desire, creatures of the quest, perhaps even more. We wanted to say to any other intelligent life out there, if you feel this longing, this ache, for something too, what have you done with it? Have you discovered anything that can fill it or cure it? As Annie Drain relates, we were hoping that, you know, maybe things like passion and longing are not just limited to our narrow experience, but might be something felt in other worlds. And how best to commensurate that longing we feel, but in music. Annie continues, we thought that the vibrations of the music would speak for us in ways that the machine itself and maybe the pictures and the other things that we had to offer wouldn't. Isn't that striking? Now, we have talked about the power behind music before here on this radio program. St. Thomas Aquinas speaks to how music evangelizes the soul, that in fact, it is a language proper to the soul because it brings the soul to life. Amen to that. What is it about music that stirs such emotion, that taps into such profound movements and yearnings of the soul? What is it? Sometimes we hear a certain song or piece of music and it awakens something inexplicable from our core an ache, a burning, a throbbing, a yearning, beneath our rather surfacey contentment with our everyday life, beneath our desire to earn money and, and live until Friday, there's this much deeper desire that at times music awakens. We've all felt it. Indeed, as West notes, that collective cry that arises from the depths of our humanity for something to fill these hearts is what makes us human. Desire is part of our design, and if we follow it through to its furthest reaches, we seem to intuit that it will lead us to our destiny. And that hunger, that nostalgia, that longing can be awakened not only by a favorite song, but maybe by a favorite movie or poem or through an encounter with the beauty of creation. Sometimes it comes late at night when everything's quiet, we can't sleep, and we're all alone with the rhythm of our own breathing and heartbeat. And what do we do? We long for that same rhythm in the busyness of our, of our everyday lives, and we find ourselves asking the question, what happens? Where is it? Where did it go? How do we attain it? In those moments... If we are brave enough to feel it, we sense the desperation of our own 
poverty, of our own need, that we are made for something more, and that something more is simply missing. It eludes us, but whatever it is, we want it, and it hurts. You know, the Greek philosopher Plato called that interior yearning what? Well, eros, right? This is what we spent so much time talking about. Now, eros is that Greek god of love and was identified by the Romans with what? But Cupid. Remember, Cupid comes from the Latin cupere, which literally means what in the Latin? But to desire. Cupid, of course, conjures up the image of the winged boy with his bow and arrow. The human yearning that we will be exploring in this book can certainly be experienced as a kind of piercing arrow that wounds the heart, so to speak, making it bleed in a desperate search for satisfaction and fulfillment. Remember, destiny, to aim at, to live in God's law, is to live in his very heart, the heart of God, hitting bullseye. So, as we talked about in the love that satisfies... While eros certainly has sexual connotations that we shouldn't neglect, and we certainly won't, the meaning of eros is broader. Plato described eros as our longing for all that is true, good, and beautiful. Sad thing is, most of us don't know where to direct that fire inside, so we end up getting burned and ultimately burning others. When that happens, The temptation can be to blame the ache itself, and we want to squelch it somehow and snuff it out. Yet, there is no escape from the burning desire within us for the true, the good, and the beautiful. Christopher West notes a Dominican father and playwright by the name of Peter John Cameron, and he says this, and we'll go ahead and end with this. It's beautiful. Each of us lives with the unextinguishable expectation that life is supposed to make sense and satisfy us deeply. Even the most jaded atheist feels cheated if he doesn't experience meaning, purpose, peace in a world, happiness in this life. Cameron continues, but just where does this universal expectation for personal fulfillment come from? It isn't something we drum up or manufacture on our own, rather The burning yearning for what is real is incorporated in our design. This burning can lead either to the torment of pain or the torrent of love. It will either consume us or consummate us. Beautiful. There it is. What we do with that ache in our bones is no small matter, as Christopher West says. It is no footnote in the grand scheme of things. What we do, my dear friends, with our yearning is precisely what determines the grand scheme of things in each of our own lives. What we do with eros, where we take it, will determine whether we are consumed or, as Cameron notes, consummated. Whether we are brought to ruin or reunion with whatever that something is we are seeking. Amen to that. Okay, so we are well on our way. Uh, Derek Ellen and Chris Seibert will join me uh, starting next week, and they will do so with their own reflections and commentary into just not the importance of theology of the body, but again, always looking to strike a new chord 
with that all-important phrase, the new evangelization, that phrase which speaks to what it means to take what we talk about here and go into the world to evangelize souls. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.